Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. Hi. This is Rachel Fisher. This is Desi Jenikin. That was like a jazzy remix. Da, 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 da. Yeah, we were we were riffing. I was totally riffing on that. Hi. Oh, are we doing patrons? Yeah, of course. Okay. I I didn't know where I was for a second. <laughs> we're giving a shout out to the Patreon subscribers from the past week. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we had Ruth, Katie, Catherine, Stephanie, Kimberly, Danielle, Michael, Timothy, Juliet, Katie, Lori, Juki, TJ, Louise, Maya, Julie, Sarah, Emily, Fiona, Caroline, Jessica, Jamie, Molly, Maria, and Yvette. Thank you guys. Thank you all so much. All right, Desi. Time for another old timey case. This one is a real who done it. Okay. So <laughs> put on your detective caps. I got it on. <laughs> My main source for this episode was a shit ton of old newspaper articles, a lot of stuff from the LA Times. Let's just get into it. It was around 11.30 p.m. on February 15, 1923, when Isabel Betts awoke to the sound of her dog, Rex, howling. She ran downstairs to see what the matter was. It was unusual for Rex to be causing such a ruckus. Maybe her house was being burglarized. Rex, who slept in the sunroom, ran out the door, and Mrs. Betts called after him. When he returned shortly, she was like, ah, all right. Yeah. I'm going back to bed. Mrs. Betts' 20-year-old daughter would later tell police that she heard gunshots, and then she heard a man say, Oh, my God. (laughs) A guest who was staying at the Betts' home said he thought the noise, or she thought the noise outside sounded like cats. Okay. So pretty much nobody heard anything alarming except for the daughter who... Did hear something pretty alarming. Oh, my God. And gunshots. Yeah. But everyone's like, it's fucking late. Yeah. Let's go Maybe back. you're having a good dream. <laughs> Let's go back to bed. But the next morning at around 7 a.m., screams could be heard coming from next door at 1409 South St. Andrew's Place. It was Charity Dawson, the housekeeper of Mr. and Mrs. Earl Remington, and she had just discovered her boss, Earl, dead near the front door of his home. Ooh. So this guy's been laying dead in the driveway for like seven hours. He's probably the one who said, oh my God. <laughs> I, that's very good detective work. <laughs> Thank you. Charity found 36-year-old Earl Remington sprawled out in the driveway with what looked to be a gunshot wound to the heart. She cried out for Earl's wife, Peggy, who was sleeping at the time of the murder. She hadn't seen her husband since the previous morning. 
He had called her at around 3 p.m., and that was the last time she had spoken to him, and he said he was going up to the ranch in Chino, which she expressed to him seemed like, isn't it a little too late to be be going to the ranch in Chino, Earl? I'm not going to the ranch that late. At 3 p.m.? No. Traffic's terrible. Seriously. Where is Chino even? Oh, I think I know Chino Hills. Yeah, it's like there. That's where Ryan from the OC is from, I think. (laughs) Before he moved to the OC. Yeah. Police surmised that when Earl returned home late that night, he got out of his car and his assailant drew a shotgun. Earl then appeared to have attempted to shield himself from the bullet with his leather portfolio, but the bullet ripped through. A second shot was then fired that pierced him in the heart, killing him. Oh. Detectives initially suspected that there may have been two killers, as evidenced by the bullet wounds found in Earl Remington. They believed that while a shotgun bullet killed Earl, the wound that was above his heart appeared different, as if maybe it was done by a revolver. So they're like, this one's definitely a shotgun. And this one's different. This one's weird. Okay. A neighbor would tell investigators that a few hours before the murder, at around 7 p.m., he spotted two unknown cars hanging around the front of the Remington house. He said that one car had a man and a woman inside, and the other car had two men. What neighborhood is this? St. Andrew's Place, so it's like Pico and Western. Oh, okay, okay. He said that both cars circled the block for a few times before driving away. Money and jewelry was found in Earl's pockets, so detectives were like, all right, this is not a robbery. This has to be a case of jealousy or revenge of some kind. Among the documents in Earl's portfolio was a picture of a film actress and an accompanying newspaper clipping about her lawsuit against a cosmetic surgeon. Oh. I don't know why he's carrying that around in his portfolio. Well, the picture is maybe okay, but why would he care about the news story? <laughs> yeah, that's very personal. Yeah. Earl was a wealthy and prominent man in Los Angeles, and after a little bit of digging, investigators would soon learn that Earl could have been murdered by a number of people. Wow. Earl Remington was born December 14, 1885, in Philadelphia. In 1908, Earl moved to Los Angeles. Soon after, he became involved with aviation attending the International Air Meet at Dominguez Field in 1910 to watch the second flight in the West. The first flight had occurred only the day before. So this was like a very historic... Rich people love flying. They do. And like going to space. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's the modern version of flying, right? Yeah, they like... Yeah, now rich people love going to space. But at the time, they really liked flying. Yeah, They were like all like hobbyist aviators like Howard Hughes yeah uh, I don't I'm just curious they're like I can conquer the sky <laughs> well, I'm so bored and I just have a lot of money what can I do that's I'm, dangerous <laughs> I'm gonna go in a flying machine <laughs> so he sees this air meet and he's like I can do that yeah and he has the means so he gets into aviation it's also the ultimate flex like I bought an airplane Right. (laughs) It's not a new car. It's an airplane. (laughs) So he goes to this event. He's very, very inspired by these aviators. Um, He was among 2,000 others 
who watched aviator Glenn Curtis take off in his biplane. Oh, so, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is either, but it's one of those, but the plane, you, right. you, you know what that plane like looks Snoopy like. Like Snoopy flies. It's exactly <laughs> the same kind of make and model that Snoopy. Well, when he's the Baron. When he has. <laughs> uh, I know planes. I know that one from Snoopy. <laughs> Inspired by the event the following year in 1911, Earl Remington founded and became president of the Aeronautical Society of California. Earl's organization received funding from the government to construct, construct airplanes. Oh. That's how so now like, he's got a little corporation. Yeah. Though he began his aviation career in manufacturing, Earl would soon become a pilot himself. He's like, I'm, yeah, I, I can do this. I can do this. Earl had other business interests as well. He owned and operated the Remington Company, the Day and Night Electric Protection Company, and the Day and Night Safe Deposit Company. What the, the hell? The Remington Company was a bank design and architecture company, and the other two companies were his bank security businesses. He created bank security systems and alarms for okay. banks. He's got a lot of companies. He's got a ton of companies. This is a very wealthy man. He's very well known in Los Angeles. In 1916, Earl married Virginia Peggy Stone, a society woman a few years his senior who had been married twice before. During and after World War I, which at the time was just called the World War, <laughs> Peggy Remington became active in charities for soldiers and veterans. She also frequented hospitals to help care for disabled veterans, and she donated large sums of money toward aiding these veterans. According to a 1920 issue of the Los Angeles Times, Peggy was an avid gardener. There's a picture of Peggy kneeling beside her potato harvest. Ooh, Like, nice. she's in the dirt. Yeah. She's, she's more, harvesting tubers. She's harvesting tubers. She's wearing, like, those pantaloons that like those pants women wore in 1920 yeah jodhpurs yeah you know what they look like <laughs> yeah they're kind of tapered they're very baggy in the hips they're and very thighs. very baggy and tan in the hips and she's wearing like a hat that looks yeah. like a beekeeper hat work, without the veil clothes. she's in the dirt yeah and she said she liked gardening just as an activity by itself, but she also donated the literal fruits of her labor to the poor. Nice. So she was, Peggy was one of those society ladies that was like all about charity. The day after the murder, detectives met with Peggy Remington's lawyer, the famous Jerry Geisler, who we've talked about oh. several times, who informed them that his client had been in the process of filing to divorce her husband. Okay. Their marital problems were said to have been going on for the last three years. Peggy charged that her husband, Earl, had been unfaithful. Geisler spoke with investigators instead of Peggy because following the murder, she had fallen ill. And she's like in shock. Yeah. She's being cared for by her sister-in-law, Blanche, and by her brother, T.E. Milster. There was also a physician who was caring for her. So Jerry Geisler was like told the lawyers, like, yeah, my client was going to... I was the, her lawyer helping divorce this guy. Investigators next learned of Earl Remington's habit of staying out late and partying. They learned that Peggy had at one point hired private investigators from the Nick Harris Detective Agency to tail her husband, 
which led them to discover him at another woman's apartment. Earl then found out about the private investigators, and he confronted Peggy about it. Oh. He's like, why are you tailing me, bitch? <laughs> We've talked about the Nick Harris Detective Agency before. They were, Yeah, they that were, sounds familiar. They were big in this time yeah. period in Los Angeles. Like You could just like call them up. They, I, I feel like people don't do that as much anymore. Like... Unless you're super rich. Mm-hmm. It seems like it used to be something regular people did more, hire a detective. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, I just think it's funny that this was like a well-known, this was like the famous detective agency in Los Angeles. It's like the Pinkerton or whatever in like Chicago. Yeah. Like these people were very well-known. Investigators searched for other leads on who would be mad enough at Earl Remington to kill him, and they learned that some people the Remingtons knew through a charity event may have been pissed off at them over the alleged mishandling of a raffle (gasps) at a benefit for disabled veterans. Another possible disgruntled person in Earl's life was the husband of the woman he was said to be having an affair with. Oh. One of Peggy's friends suggested to detectives that an angry husband might have motive to kill Earl. I mean, rich people usually have a bunch of people who want to kill them. I agree. Like employees, people they screwed over in a business deal. Yeah. Like there's always a few options. There's a few options yeah. to, to go on. And this guy like had several different business interests. Right. So he's dealing with a lot of people. And he was a cheater. Yeah, he has that too. So, yeah, who knows? And the raffle. And the raffle. <laughs> and the fucking raffle. Uh, they found, police found a little black book on Earl Remington that contained the numbers of several women. Ooh. So, police began to track all these women down as well to get their stories. One of these women was a film actress named Amy Torriani, who was reportedly seen with Earl on numerous occasions. But according to Amy, she had been friends with Earl since she was 11 years old. Oh. She told detectives that Earl had confided in her about his crumbling marriage and was worried that his wife was going to leave him. Now, she's an adult at this time, but she had known him since she was 11. She told detectives that, um, yeah, she told detectives like Earl was complaining about his marriage and he didn't want his wife to leave him. Amy told detectives that she was not only a film actress, but a psychic. Ooh, nice. So she could help with this investigation yeah, if they need if help. If they have any questions. Even back then, psychics were coming out <laughs> of the woodwork to aid in investigations. She said that she believed that Earl was murdered by a veteran. She went on to say, Peggy and Earl loved each other with a love that was so possessive that it was destructive. Oh. And you can print that in the paper. I love that she gave permission. No, she didn't say that. Oh. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think oh. I, she like, she happened to be not in the area after the murder happened, but as soon as she read it in the paper, she like rushed back to LA to like- Be the be, expert witness. Yeah. To be a witness for police. But why was her, why did she dog a, a veteran? A lot of people did in this case. Really? Yeah. Detectives also chased a lead that involved a couple who were believed to have been blackmailing Earl. An informant told the LA Times that Earl met with a woman he was fucking in a hotel room on the afternoon before his murder. While he's in the hotel room with this woman that he was fucking, a man entered the room. Oh. And the informant that spoke to the LA Times alleged that this man 
and the woman that Earl was fucking were actually a couple who was plotting to put Earl in a compromising position. And they were threatening to tell secrets about Earl's alleged bad business practices or like bad dealings with money and like thwart him on this new business venture that he'd been working on. Earl was allegedly ordered by the couple to pay them $1,500 to keep his secrets safe. The informant alleged that Earl was ordered to pay more money after he paid the $1,500, but he told the couple he couldn't deliver, and so they threatened to murder him. Whoa. Meanwhile, the autopsy revealed that the second non-fatal wound that was located above Remington's heart was not from a revolver, but from a blade, possibly a bayonet. How did they not know that? (laughs) Seems like that would be very different than a gunshot wound. I just think that's why they're like, well, this is from a different gun. Why is someone also bringing a knife to a gunfight? Yeah. So they like, but they found that out pretty soon after. But this was just the initial. A bayonet, yeah. They're like, that's a bayonet. And you know who uses bayonets? Veterans. Veterans. They do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they said it was a similar bayonet that would have been used in the war. Like they have those hanging on their walls and stuff. Right. Or at the veterans home, like they just have their bayonets there. Okay. Do they take those home? They used those in World War One. <laughs> that just seems like a civil war weapon or something. Uh, yes. They're like, this is a French bayonet. They're like, they think it was a French bayonet that was used okay. in World War One. Again, just known as World War at the time. Uh, so they they thought it was a bayonet. They said that this this revelation led detectives to interview a veteran who had become friends with Peggy through her charity work. They're okay. like, let's see if anyone was close to the wife. Yeah. Interview that guy. This 16-gauge shotgun that they believed killed Earl was the same kind of gun that Earl owned and kept in his office. Police searched the office and couldn't locate it. Police then searched for the other guns that Earl was said to have been in possession of, but they couldn't find them. Investigators would later discover that it actually wasn't a 16-gauge shotgun that killed him. It was a 12-gauge shotgun that killed Earl. They would also later learn that he wasn't stabbed with the bayonet, but it could have been some kind of puncture wound caused by a... They were like a freak discharge. Oh. Like a shrapnel, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Something... Some kind of discharge. This guy keeps changing his mind a lot. This The this, gun expert. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I don't know, maybe it's just discharge. Sounds gross. (laughs) What does that mean? You know, I don't know. Something flew, a piece of metal. I don't know. The the car backfired. Maybe someone actually stepped on something and it flipped it up. (laughs) It It was a rake. Yeah. He stepped on a rake as he was staggering around after the bullet wound, hit him in the fucking chest. (laughs) Yeah. But they know for sure. They're like, well, we know a shotgun killed him. Isn't that enough, guys? We don't know what gauge. But does it matter? (laughs) (laughs) It was loud. Let's take a break here. We'll be right back. Okay. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? 
If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Peggy Remington would be grilled by detectives when she was feeling better. Detectives learned of the life insurance policy that Peggy would collect upon her husband's death, as well as the massive debt. Earl was apparently in. Peggy told investigators that she knew her husband had taken out a life insurance policy, but she was not aware that she would be the beneficiary. Peggy told police, he was spending much of his time as of late with newfound friends, both men and women. (gasps) Previously, he came home early and retired, but lately he was coming home at all hours of the night, and this worried me very much. I could not find out where he was spending his time. Detectives asked Peggy if she herself had ever had an affair, and she firmly answered no. When they told her that they had interviewed a disabled veteran that she worked with, she strongly insisted that there was no way any of her boys were responsible for her husband's murder. She's like, I'm insulted you would even insinuate that. But Peggy's brother, Mr. Milster, he had a different take. He told the LA Times that he believed many of the crimes were occurring in Los Angeles as a result of the war. He said the soldiers overseas saw so much bloodshed that death means nothing to them. Oh. He was like, I I bet it is one of her disabled veteran friends. They've seen things. They've seen things. At this time, investigators liked 
likened Earl's murder to that of William Desmond Taylor's murder, which was a case with a host of possible suspects that just might never be solved. They were like, this just might be one of those. There's too many suspects, and we don't know. But soon, a new discovery into the personal life of Earl Remington would cause detectives to run scrambling in another direction. They discovered that Earl was one of the ringleaders of a massive bootlegging ring. (gasps) Ooh. Double life. Yeah. Detectives were now certain that his dealings with peddling illegal liquor were the cause of his murder. Investigators discovered 100 gallons of bootleg liquor in the basement of the Remington home. Then at Earl's office, they discovered ledgers bearing the names of a lot of prominent figures around Los Angeles that he provided the alcohol to. Wow. So this just cracked open this whole other sort of investigation. Detectives spoke with W.A. Rudgear, who was a broker from San Francisco who had seen Earl on the night before the murder at a party at the Ambassador Hotel. He said he drank whiskey with Earl and ordered four cases from him. The four cases of whiskey were part of a shipment of 35 cases that Earl was in possession of. They also went to get dinner at the Paris Inn downtown. I looked up the Paris Inn. Yeah. The Paris Inn at that time was originally operated by nightclub owner Madame Zuka, whose establishments were frequently raided by police during Prohibition. Nice. And the following year, that restaurant was reopened under a new owner. The menu that I found for the Paris Inn was like literally like the year after it was under new management, but I thought the menu was worth discussing. This is a downtown L.A. establishment. It was Paris-themed. Like, they had a huge mural of the Eiffel Tower. I looked at old pictures of it. So you can get some... This is the a la carte menu. You can get sandwiches, chopped tenderloin tartare sandwich, a clubhouse sandwich, a sardine sandwich, ham and egg, salami. You can get American cheese on toast for 70 cents. Mm. <laughs> I mean that sounds good, but it's funny to have that at like a nice restaurant. Well, a Paris-based restaurant would not have American cheese. No. I don't think. This is obviously decades before French cooking became more ubiquitous in America. Yes. This is but this was rich people food back then. They had for hors d'oeuvres eastern oysters on the half shell, 80 cents, tomato juice cocktail, mm. Italian ham, Celery unbrunch, olives, imported sardines, fruit supreme a maraschino, <laughs> California oysters, stuffed celery. That's a they loved celery back then. They were always eating celery and olives for appetizers. Yeah. I've noticed in looking at these really old menus, they have like a number of celery appetizers just just in this one section. Celery Victor. They also always use the pale yellow celery. Yeah. It's like the, the center leaves. ones. Yeah, with the leaves. <laughs> and I, that's my favorite celeries. I like the celery hearts. I like them all. I am not a big fan of the outer, harder celery. Really? I like the. I love celery leaves, though. I love a celery leaf. I like crunchy celery. It's good. Paris in canapé, seafood cocktail. 
California Jumbo. They have like three different olive options on here. That's so many. It's a lot. Salad, what kind of salad do you think? Waldorf salad. Oh. Sorry, I didn't let you answer. But <laughs> I like Waldorf. Tomato, shrimp salad, asparagus tips. There's no shrimp Louie? Um, <laughs> no, but they have a choice of dressing of mayonnaise, Thousand Island, Roquefort, soups. They have like a number of soups here, cream of tomato, cram broth, Bellevue. I don't like when mayo is offered as a salad dressing. That's lazy. It's just like, who who wants that? Who's ordering that? Who would get that? I need to see that crazy person. <laughs> they have a number of Italian delicacies, like spaghetti Italian with mushrooms for an extra 90 cents. Ravioli. This is Cafe Paris. I, or Paris Inn or It whatever. was the Paris Inn, but they had a lot of Italian things on the menu. It's, they were like, it's close enough. It's Europe. No one knows. Nobody really knows. <laughs> you have to take a steamship to get there. Yeah. So who's really been there? Royal Squab for an entree. Marrow on toast. Melon, stop it. I do think it's interesting because you forget that Julia Child really popularized French cooking. Yeah. And it wasn't really so well known until then in America. It wasn't. So you could just do any old ethnic or European sounding dishes I mean, uh, and only, get away with it. And only wealthy people like ate French cooking at, yeah. this, at this time. It wasn't what then became like people knew what a quiche was. And probably most of that was New York. Like LA probably didn't have a thriving French cuisine like food yeah. scene. Like Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I really like this menu. I think there's it's like there's a lot on here. You can get a zabioni, which is also zabione. I'm sorry, I pronounced that wrong. My mom's going to be upset. It's a des- it's an Italian dessert. Yeah, not I've again, not French. Nope. Caramel cup custard, peaches melba, baked Alaska for one. That I mean, none of sad. these are French. No. Baked Alaska for one? That sounds, Dude, I want baked Alaska so bad. Me too. I've never had it. It's I my either. fantasy. <laughs> I want to have it. I've never had it either. You need a blowtorch yeah. to make it, right? There's, there's like, look. I've always wanted baked Alaska. Me too. Even though technically I'm like, I probably won't love it, but I have to have it. <laughs> we should. Because I'm not like a huge meringue lover. We should find a place that does it and go there and order it. Right. It's kind of like how I wanted a souffle my whole life, but that definitely paid off. Yeah. But I know I would love a souffle. I of mean, course. come on. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, well, I mean, I'm sure I've had a souffle before, but that's not something you come by nowadays. Very that's often. the thing you have to order like right when you sit down mm-hmm. usually. So I've definitely done that and I've made a souffle. I've never made one and I would love to make like a cheese one. I made a chocolate one with like a vanilla creme anglaise or whatever. Mm. It was really good. That sounds good. I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> anyway, so that's the Paris Inn. So Earl went to that restaurant with this guy, this broker from San Francisco, Rudd Gear. And according to Rudd Gear, Earl expressed his regrets that a Quaker girl that he was apparently seeing couldn't come along to dinner. So he instead invited his stenographer, Estella Lesage, to come to dinner instead. Estella Lesage? Estella Lesage. Lesage. That's, That's a hard name. Estella Lesage. Yeah, that is Did hard. Did you want to say stage? You want to say... 
<laughs> That's like a very flashy name for a stenographer. You have to be like a burlesque dancer for that. Yeah, name. that sounds like a burlesque dancer's name. Or like, it's like some movie star, like Starlet's name that she changed from like Jane Smith. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what are you doing working as a stenographer? Get a new line of work with that name. Also, if you were the mom or dad, why would you make it so difficult? It's like a tongue twister. <laughs> Stella Stella's seashores by the seashore. It's like, it's hard to say. It very, yeah. Estella said that she was with Earl on the night of his murder as well. So they went to dinner on Wednesday night. His murder was late Thursday night. And that's, that was when she last saw him. She was with him before the murder happened. The day before, the night before. She was with him the night before the murder and the night of. Oh, They went to the movies together earlier in the evening at the Mission Theater. According to her, he, quote, he seemed tired and he was worried over his business negotiations. After the movies, they went to dinner. She said that after dinner, they went to another movie and that he dropped her off at her house sometime between 11 and 11.30. So remember, he was murdered at around 11.30 p.m. Right. So after he dropped her off, he went home. And got murdered. Get shot in his driveway. A private detective by the name of Charles Collins contacted investigators and told them that Earl Remington had actually solicited him before his murder. Okay. And he said that he got a weird request from Earl. Earl called him and asked to meet him at the athletic club at 9 p.m. and bring some guns with you. Oh, that is a weird request. (laughs) Why would you do that? Yeah. This guy also happened to be like a former chief of police or something, or he was a former cop. Yeah. Like he didn't just have his detective's license and he's like, meet me here and bring your guns. I can't tell you what it's about. Yeah. Sus. I don't know if he did. I don't think he did it. Oh, he didn't. I don't think so. Yeah. But he's like, he he wanted me to like. So something's going down. Like what's this guy involved in? Yeah. Following the revelations of Earl Remington's double life as an underworld figure, his wife Peggy was interviewed again. She told detectives that Earl got into the bootlegging business to make back the money that he said he had lost. She said that she begged him to get out of the business, but he refused. She talked about how both her husband's demeanor and his habits changed as a result of his dealings. She would talk about the weirdos that were always coming and going from the house, the trucks that were arriving like at all hours of the night to drop off liquor, she had to stop entertaining as a result of this. She was, too, mm. she was too embarrassed to have guests over because there were always these weird people at her house. The house constantly reeked of liquor, she said. She spoke of the long and often heated phone calls that she witnessed her husband making. She dared not ask him about the specifics. She was too afraid. She said that two days before he was murdered, he had a very long phone call with someone in Hollywood And she said, quote, as it progressed, Earl became terribly angry. He said things over the telephone, which if directed at any self-respecting man would have caused a fight. She said then that her husband was not only selling liquor, but he was drinking quite a lot of it himself. She said his recent legitimate business failings combined with the stress of his newer illegal business ventures drove him to drink. Peggy also revealed to detectives that her husband had been operating a still at their ranch in Chino. In fact, she said that when the police seized all those gallons of liquor from their home following the murder, she felt relief. Yeah. She's like, it's over. I don't have to be the wife of a bootleg baron anymore. 
She said the one thing that gave her any sort of relief in the last three years was her work with disabled veterans. But she said that she never, ever discussed her mar- discussed her marital problems with any of the vets that she cared for. She's like, they don't yeah. know about all this stuff going on. Don't look into them. It was her opinion that her husband was certainly murdered by somebody else in the bootlegging business. She said her husband had ordered a large supply of liquor, but wrote a bad check to a supplier. Hmm. Like, he did that knowingly it was a bad check. By this time, federal prohibition agents were involved in the case. They informed police that they had been surveilling a bootlegger in Hollywood who had sold a large quantity of whiskey from Earl and had received a bad check. This Hollywood bootlegger had received a shipment from a San Pedro port a month prior. Investigators continued to search Earl's downtown L.A. office and discovered letters written to him by his friends from the East Coast who warned him of a potential hit hit out on him. One of the people Earl had reached out to about his safety was an unnamed prominent local businessman. Initially, Earl hit this guy up asking if he wanted to invest in his bootlegging business, but then later he called him and was like, I'm scared for my life. Do do you still want to invest in the business? (laughs) Around that time, detectives also interviewed Earl's former secretary, who said she quit working for him in April the previous year when his business was going down the toilet. She said that she they were being hounded by creditors, and she's like, "This place is a mess." Yeah, I gotta. I'm not gonna get paid. No. So she left. She said it was her belief that her boss was forced into the bootlegging business to avoid financial ruin. It came as a shock, though, a few days later during the will probate filing when people discovered that Earl's will was considerably larger than anyone realized it would be. Because there was all this talk like... Oh, he's bankrupt. He's bankrupt. No, he had a lot of money, and this wasn't just in property. Yeah. So he left behind $150,000 to his wife, Peggy. Okay. For, I'm sure that was a lot more in Mm -hmm. 1923. For the next month, the case yielded no new leads into the murder of Earl Remington. It wasn't until an arrest was made in Long Beach in late March that detectives were invigorated. Eight wealthy bootleggers were arrested and 160 cases of whiskey were seized at the Curtis Corporation Wharf in Long Beach. But after hours of questioning, the detectives were dismayed to find there were no links between any of these men arrested and the murder. Some of the men arrested like knew Earl yeah. or had worked with him in some capacity, but like minor in a minor way. Right. There wasn't any like war going on no. between them. But they did get excited for a second. Another month went by and nothing new turned up until defense attorney S.S. Hahn told police that his client wanted to make a statement. Oh. He, insist- he insisted that his client be granted bail pending a trial should she come in there. She's- he was like, I want you to ensure that she gets bail if she makes this statement. According to Hahn, this unnamed woman who was his client said that she had an 18-month-long relationship with Earl and that at one point he promised to divorce his wife so they could get married. Okay. But, look, we've heard that before. Yeah. Desi. (laughs) They even shared a home together in Venice Beach. Whoa. So presumably he had this whole other house. A little bungalow. A bungalow on the beach. 
But then she said he started drifting away from her. Eventually, he just straight up ghosted her. Like, he was not taking her calls. Yeah. He just disappeared. She was not happy about this. What about marriage? She thought they were going to get married and live on the beach together and be bohemians. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm with Peggy. I'm with Peggy, lady. She knew that he'd been seeing other women besides his wife. Yeah. She's like, look, your wife is one thing. Yeah. But But these other side pieces, I don't need to compete with that. And she didn't want to. So she was like kind of losing her mind about this. She claimed that she phoned him at the office several times and he wouldn't answer, like the secretary wouldn't put her through. Right. And she just couldn't get a hold of this guy. She even said that she visited the office and that his secretary threw her out. He was like, you can't be here. Yeah. So she purchased a bottle of acid, which she said was intended to throw at Earl and whoever, whatever bitch he was with. (gasps) I don't like acid throwing. I don't either. It's not right. It's so scary. <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean, this lady was pissed. She said she trailed him on the day of his murder while he was out with another woman. Now, the woman he was out with was his platonic friend, the stenographer, Estella. 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 Estella Sage. She eventually lost their tail, so she called on the help of two of her guy friends who she said that she wanted to use them to like intimidate Earl into talking to her. So she calls up these guy friends and they drove down to the Remington house and they waited for him to come home. According to the woman, both of the men were carrying guns and bayonets. (gasps) Wait a second. (laughs) And they were parked out front of the Remington house with their guns and bayonets, just waiting for him. Are they veterans? She didn't say. Okay. But she's like, yeah, they had bayonets and guns, and they were waiting. According to her, though, she was like, she just, these these were for intimidation purposes. Right. To intimidate. I mean, this is not a good strategy, in my opinion, of getting a guy back. No. Because he's not going nowhere. He's not going to think you're any less crazy. If you show up with two. (laughs) Look, if you bring bayonets, people are going to be like, that's crazy. Yeah. Where do you even get those? <laughs> yeah. This is like not a good move. You, like she should have played it cool, found another guy or whatever. They then watched as Earl pulled up in his driveway. She said that the two men got out of the car and fired shots at Earl and then ran back to the car and they drove off. Now this woman claims she had no idea the guys were going to murder Earl. She was like, I just wanted to talk to him. Yeah, and did they stab him with a bayonet? Apparently, they stabbed him oh. with a bayonet as well. She claimed that these two men who committed the murder then vanished, and she said she hadn't heard from them since. She's who like, were these guys? She said she didn't know their names. And they did this for her? They did this for her, wow. <laughs> according to this woman. Deputy District Attorney Asa Keys, he heard this from this defense attorney. He heard this whole story about his client and was like, Okay, that's crazy. There's some holes here. Uh, And I'm absolutely not going to make a deal with anyone that I don't talk to in person. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to make a deal with this hypothetical client that you have. Bring her in here. Like, I can't do anything. When questioned by the police, like, the investigators were, like, meanwhile, like, trying to find this person because S.S. Hahn wouldn't give up the name of this woman. 
So they started doing their own digging. They questioned the secretary in question and asked if they had ever seen a woman come in to that, like, you know, was in a relationship with Earl. And he was like, well, I never threw anybody out of the office, but I did recall my boss having a 20 minute long conversation with a young woman once that ended with Earl appearing unusually disturbed. He said that this woman was 28 about, Uh you know, and she had quote, black hair and brown eyes and a well-developed figure. Ooh. She's like, this woman was a baddie. She had a Dump truck ass. <laughs> Well-developed figure. Very, <laughs> that's what he said. At this time, S.S. Han refused to divulge the identity of his client. So until she came forward willingly or investigators found her, there was really nothing they could do in pursuing this lead. Yeah. And they never did find her. Oh. Another big bootleg liquor operation was busted a few weeks later in Ontario, not too far from the Chino Ranch that Earl operated. An associate of Earl's was among those involved, so detectives again were like, ooh, another Earl connection. Maybe these guys know something. The man who was involved in this operation happened to be a disabled World War veteran who had purchased liquor from Earl. According to him, Earl had also helped him and given him some money and eventually hired him as an errand boy. But no new leads arose from this arrest either. They're Hmm. like, all right, well, he worked for Earl. Yeah. But again, that's about it. The following year, in 1924, a 39-year-old veteran living in Portland named Lawrence Aber confessed to the murder of Earl Remington. He claimed that when he lived in L.A., Earl sold him and other veterans whiskey at the veteran's home that they lived in. Nice. He claimed that him and some other ex-soldiers, along with several film actors, were responsible for the murder and that Mrs. Remington knew about it. Wow. He was like, she was in on it and several movie stars were also murdered. And as soon as he (laughs) was like, movie stars did this, they're like, okay. Yeah. We'll see ya. Well, thank you for coming in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, that they, seems a little far-fetched. Lawrence was taken to a hospital for observation <laughs> following this fake false confession. Uh, hopefully he got the treatment he needed. But yeah. yeah, obviously he gave like this weird rambling. It started off sort of logical and then it got more fantastical. It started out strong. Yeah. And then they're like, okay. And Fatty Arbuckle was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon as Fatty Arbuckle showed up in this guy's story, they're yeah. like, oh, that guy. Him again? No, we're not doing <laughs> this again with Fatty. Anyway, they never found out who killed Earl Remington. Really? It would become like a William Desmond Taylor murder. That's right. I mean, I did that case a long time ago. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. There, there was like five suspects. That yeah. it could have been. And some of his were sort of movie stars or actors um, who were famous back then. Um, I forgot that case was unsolved as well. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's uh, definitely easier to get away with murder back then. I agree. Because you can literally just disappear. They don't have the resources. There's no DNA evidence or there, a lot of that. Or like cell phone pinging. Yeah. Or even I mean, like, like, oh, we saw you posted up. Like somebody took a picture of you at Burger King. Yeah. It just, or whatever. It just was so much easier, I think. Yeah. 
Like if you wanted to be a murderer, like you had to do it like back then. Even when you could kind of, even when everyone knew you did it, you could still get away with it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, they couldn't prove it. Right. Uh, There was no like surveillance video or anything that they could kind of nail you with. They had to rely on like witnesses and I guess some, some sort of, what is it called? Hearsay or like, do you know what I mean? It was like all of that stuff, circumstantial. It was all circumstantial evidence. It was a lot of circumstantial evidence, unless you like found a body in somebody's refrigerator. Even that was is kind of circumstantial. <laughs> like, Finding a body in a fridge? Well, because you could be like, someone put it there. Oh. I mean, I don't know. Like, you prove it. <laughs> prove it. it could prove happen. I did it. Yeah. Someone's framing yeah, me. I don't know. It could happen to anyone. You know, Look, that, you, that's my story. I'm know, sticking to it. You know what all those times, you know, when you go to your kitchen and it's so annoying, you open it, you open the fridge looking for a snack and there's like a fucking human head in there. Well, it That's is annoying. true though. It's almost like the only way people got busted by back then was if everyone just hated them. Right. It didn't matter if they had evidence or if they confessed. Right. Even and then if they even tried to take the confession back, it's like, sorry, it's too late. That's all the evidence we have. <laughs> right. You gotta go to the gas chamber now. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like I just feel like back then it was just Police. If you had the motive, that was that was enough. Sometimes, yeah. And there were too many motives in this case. Even the wife could have been a suspect, but she wasn't. Right. That's why I think it's hard to solve because there was too many people who had decent motives. You need some. You need a case where there's only one motive, and it's like, sorry, you're you got it. Sorry, it's you. There might be another person who had a good motive, but we don't know about it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, she. I don't, wasn't she from a rich family too, or she was just a soul? So I don't know that she would need the money. Right. But I do feel like she possibly could have gotten one of her veteran friends to do it. What's weird though, I don't know how how wealthy her family was because the unfortunate thing for Peggy is after all of this, like the case goes totally cold. A bunch of members of her family die. She ends up like destitute at one point. Oh. And she gives a quote to the paper like in the 30s or something and she's like, yeah, I lost all my money, but I'm going to go get a job. I got a job as a hostess at a restaurant. I mean, clearly the woman who came in with her weird confession is probably who had something to do with it. Because why did she come in? Well, she came to the lawyer. Yeah, but why? I know, why? So there's she's the only person who clearly is connected, in my opinion. I agree there's something there because SS Han was a real like famous defense attorney at that time. He, right. He worked on a ton of cases, like he was respected. Like obviously her story is bullshit, but she was trying to make a fake story. To protect herself. Yeah. So she's clearly the one who has something to do with it. Like if she admitted that she wanted to like maim her ex-lover in an acid attack, who's to say she's not capable of like shooting him in the chest? And I don't even doubt that it was uh, go intimidate this guy and it got out of hand. Right. Um, and then she conveniently doesn't know where they went. I don't buy that either. Right. It's just all, I mean, she's just the one. I think she seems like the one, even though we never found out her identity, but apparently she had a well-developed figure. She was a hottie. Those people think they can get away with everything. (laughs) (laughs) She has hot girl privilege. That's the problem is I'd love to see what this 
fucking smoke show. So, looks so the like. lawyer said she had a well developed figure. No, the secretary. Oh, so the said, secretary. The secretary was like, yeah, a woman in her twenties did come into the office once and. They had a heated conversation. So, but imagine you're banging this, um, I'm assuming, not that attractive guy, right? He was okay. He's okay. His wife But you're in your 20s with a well-developed figure. Yeah. And you think you're going to marry this rich guy. Right. And he dumps you, and he's fucking other girls who maybe aren't as well-developed as you. Right. You're going to get really mad because you're like, wait, I could get someone way hotter and maybe even richer. Yeah. So, and you have the nerve to fuck around on me. Like, it's one thing to fuck around on your wife. Right. Peggy. Peggy. Fuck her. No, I'm just kidding. Peggy. The <laughs> Do you know pe- what I'm saying? Like, Peggy. she, like, <laughs> this is very um, mistress hierarchy. Yeah. She obviously has to accept the wife, but she thinks she's the number one girl and everyone else is pissing her off. Uh, and it, she hates him. Right. She wants to be with him, but she also hates his fucking guts. Because how dare he? He has insulted her. Because he's 36, and 36 in 1923 is, like, old. That's like someone who looks like Fred Mertz from I Love Lucy sometimes. Right. Like, they look in their 60s sometimes. I'm so lucky to be in my 30s in this era, because now it's not like... You see someone from those days... Like, in the 20s? And you're like, wow, that person is an old person. And you're like, wait a second, they're 39? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is shocking sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> or you just you see like when you're growing up, you're like, oh, you know, these actresses had to retire because they were so old. And you find and out they're, they're like, like 40. Like, yeah. It's just like, wait, it, it, they're 37 right. and they were already over the hill. Uh, it's no, terrible. It's terrible. But yeah, sometimes you do see people, just regular folks, not movie stars. And you're like, holy shit, that person, because 50, 50 year olds are hot now. And back then it was just like very rare. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was very rare. Like, like men were 36 and like paunchy and balding. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, there was nothing. There was no. So this lady who was like, Fucking, by all accounts, a total hottie. She's like, I'm in my heyday. I've only got five more years maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until I'm an old crow. Right. Like, it, it didn't even happen gradually back then. It was like, as soon as you turned 35, like, you, like, you, you look like, softer on the middle. Like, you looked like the lady on the grandma's cookies box. Yeah. That's what you look like. No, you went from play, you went from playing like femme fatales, and then a year later you were playing like um, someone's house servant. Yeah, like in a TV show, Mama's Family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but for like, real, you were Lana Turner, hot one year, and the next year you're like a grandmother. Yeah, <laughs> just like one year's difference. It's kind of like porn rules: how you can be thirty yes. and be a milf. Yes. Uh, no, so I'm I there's no way this girl didn't have something to do with it. She's the only one who truly had the hatred because it doesn't even seem like his business deals were that shady. For, his you know? legitimate business deals, right? I mean, they just seem very run of the mill. There was no like angry person he really screwed over in a major way. The bootlegging, you mean? Either of them. Either of them, yeah. I mean, there was just like minor stuff, but like Yeah, they didn't turn up any like bombshell evidence that he had like a rival gang. I think after this girl him. Tricked two dumbasses yeah. to do something Tweedle for her D and with Tweedle her little dumb. dump, you know, shaking her dump truck. <laughs> <laughs> Go get your bayonets, <laughs> boys, boys. Go get your bayonets, and I'll give you a little peek of my yeah. butt. You want some of this milkshake? 
Uh, yeah, she's gotta. You know, and she and she got cold feet because she's like, wait, my story is I'm too dumb to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very hot, but very. But dumb. I'm not very clever. This story, even my lawyer is like, "Come on, you got to do better." <laughs> like as she's doing it, she realizes how bad the story is, and she's like, "I got to bail." Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna cut my losses here. Yeah, like I'm not gonna go through with this. Like you could just disappear. Why not do that? Just fucking leave. They never found her. Yeah. All she had to do was go down to Rite Aid, get a box of L'Oreal Feria hair color, and yeah. like dye it. The best hope is that this lawyer turns her in, and he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. Yeah. He was a good defense attorney. S.S. Hahn actually had a very mysterious death. Ooh. He was found like at the bottom of a pool with like a something around his neck and like weights tied to his feet, but they ruled it a suicide, even though there was no oh. suicide note. Hmm. See, that's another thing you can get away with back then. <laughs> right. You could just be like, okay, yeah, that's an unusual way to do it. Right. But, but <laughs> yeah, there's like, no other evidence. They would find people like back then with like, <laughs> sure. He has an anvil around his neck. They'd find people like shot in the stomach with like a note written in blood that said like, I fucking hate you. And they'd be like, looks like another suicide. I'm out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, maybe she did it. She's like, I got to tie up all the loose ends. (laughs) 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 Once he retires, there's no more client attorney privilege. Right. She doesn't know. She doesn't know We've already established that she's very dumb. We should, maybe I should look more into S.S. Han because I did see, I was like reading about him and saw how he died and was like, that's fucking crazy yeah it was a weird death that is definitely a mysterious death and he was a very prominent defense attorney in los angeles yeah for many years Han, isn't that like the former mayor is he like that family no he changed his name he was a russian jewish immigrant okay and he changed han is like a big name in la as far as politics goes yeah he was not part of that okay anyway that is earl remington we love you. Uh, How do I sign off? Well, do we have pictures? We have pictures. Okay, good. Oh, there's also a picture of the dog who heard the gunshots. Rex. Rex. <laughs> Rex does not look like a Rex, by the way. Oh, really? He's like one of those pretty dogs. Oh, I thought it would be scrappy. No, he's like, he kind of looks like a, he kind I look, I'm bad at dog breeds, but he kind of looks like uh, the friend King Charles Spaniel almost. Like oh, that, like that little look. cute. Like he has like curly ears or like oh, yeah. the, wavy the wavy ears. where they look like they have a finger wave. Yeah, like I mean, he just looks very like a like a cute dog. Like okay, a, I mean, Rex was a very common dog name. Yeah, you were either Fido or Rex. Rex is just so. Uh, and then if you were a poodle, you were like Suzette. Yeah, but <laughs> but what's funny is that cat names were still very unique even back then because I've looked at look I've looked at multiple pictures in old newspapers of, from like old cat shows and those names were always like Reginald Chips or like right or frying pan yeah the frying, cat <laughs> it's true <laughs> they still had weird names they're like Radiator the cat why I need to find out why this is because this is a very common. Uh, thing that that dogs, dogs all have very similar names like Molly or whatever, and cats are literally named whatever Crockpot yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cute name for a cat. It's but why is that? Because because cats, if anything, you'd think are would be more offended by these names. 
dogs will do whatever. They don't fucking care. Yeah. So it's like maybe it's just funnier I to give so. it to saddle a cat with, with some bullshit undignified name. Undignified name. Very undignified. Because cats are very dignified creatures. Even like the fancy names are a little undignified. Yeah. Where it's like Reginald Dush Esquire. It's like it's we're still <laughs> it's making fun top. of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's still embarrassing. But someone should name their cat Lord Pickles. <laughs> That is a great name. I also think Crockpot is a great name for a cat. Yeah. I mean, you just, whatever you see, just name your cat that. Yeah. The first thing in your eyesight, just name it. Brisket, whatever. That's a cute name for a cat. (laughs) Brisket. I mean, look, I love food names. Obviously, most of my cats are named after foods. Yeah, they're good. My foster kittens are all cookies. I saw your foster kittens. I They're all cookie brands. Famous Amos, Lorna Dune. Lorna Doom. Little Debbie. Mrs. Fields. <laughs> Mrs. Fields is so funny. Like, that's a cute name. I like Now, the- I was going to do Keebler, but that name was already taken. That's why I just randomly Keebler's came up with a. Cute uh, name. I just named the last one Nutter Butter. Oh, yeah, Nutter Butter. Because I couldn't think of another, because I didn't want to do Pepperidge. Uh, do you know what I mean? Or yeah. Nabisco. Those aren't really Nabisco's cute names. Not cute. I just said it on the fly. I was like, Nutter Butter. That's cute. <laughs> it was cute. That's it really switches cute. it up a bit. Mm-hmm. But little Debbie is perfect because she is the runt. And Debbie's a cute name for a cat. <laughs> it is cute. I really like that name for some reason. I hope whoever adopts them keeps the name. Little uh, Debbie. Yeah. And they have to um, film a video next week. For these, promotion? These kittens are celebrities. Yes, because they were found by the same place as my last foster kittens. So they have a very dramatic rescue. Oh. And they're filming them now. Like so, to show them before they were found in a uh, car floorboard. The mom crawled into like an abandoned vehicle <gasps> and gave birth to the kittens in this car floorboard. And then it was a very hot. It got very hot in there. So when they saved the kittens, they were like panting. That's how Aww. hot it was. So they had. I don't know how they got them out of the car. I think they had to like break into the car or something. Aww. I don't know the whole story yet, but so now they have to be brought in. She's like, can you bring them into the studio? I was the like, studio? studio? I was like, where am I bringing them? The studio. So I think they do a lot of YouTube videos. This Hope for Paws is the name of the rescue. They save cats and dogs all over the city. Do they have a picture or a video of Melon emerging from a dumpster? I know. If only he was found by them. Because that's how I have the video of my last kittens being rescued from inside the walls of that house. So these were also rescued in a sort of a dramatic way. So next week they're going to get their little, um, and look at them now, like their glow up video. So I'm like, well, I'm going to have to clean them up a bit. Yeah. They're pretty clean. They're pretty cute. They're, you know, they're going to make sure their buttholes are clean for the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Got to clean them up. Make sure they're nice and pink. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. Let's end it there. Bye. Bye. 